Blog Talk Radio.
there's loud, there's louder, and then there's Loudon. The Foxwoods Resort Casino 301 at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, July 20th through 21st. Your only chance this year to catch Monster Energy NASCAR Cup racing in New England. So if you like living out loud, we mean really loud, then come get your loud on at the Foxwoods Resort Casino 301, July 20th through 21st. Tickets start at just $40. Get yours today at NHMS.com. I'm Matt DiBenedetto, driver of the number 95 Procore Toyota Camry, and you're listening to The Pit Stop with Tim Despain. Good evening from Dega Nation. I'm Tim Despain, alongside of SpeedWeekDigest.com's Mr. Stephen Wilson. Stephen, we hadn't talked since Daytona, brother. Uh, you were rubbing under the weather. How you doing there? Um, I'm trying to get better. At least I think I am. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, we uh we missed you last week. Uh, I want to thank Scott Remus there from JD Motorsports filled in. We had Tim Bray, PR director there from Kentucky Speedway. You know, a really good guy. I got to see him this past weekend at Kentucky. And to let everybody know, the number to call in is 215-383-3681. Again, I'm Tim Spain alongside of Stephen Wilson. Stephen, let our listeners know a little bit about our guest we got, we got coming on tonight, uh, Makina Haas. Uh, She's an up-and-coming driver in uh, some of them, um, what you call them, sprint wing cars or something, ain't she, Steve? Yeah, she's um, a sprint wing driver from out in Illinois. Um, she is um, the first female to win at Knoxville, the uh, famous dirt track out there. And um, not only that, she is a uh, development driver coach, which she owns her own team with uh, uh, sprint uh, short, uh, sorry, like quarter midgets and go-karts and things like that um, for up-and-coming drivers that she's teaching on how to uh, break into the sport as well as giving them experience for um, uh, uh, as they they progress throughout um, their careers. Um, she was just featured on American Ninja Warrior just a couple of weeks ago. So she's kind of a well-rounded driver, coach, team owner, um, athlete, all kind of wrapped into one. Um, she, uh, so, you know, that's just a brief overview, and I guess we can get into some of the other stuff when uh, she comes on later on in the hour. That's right. Stephen, like I said, we hadn't talked uh, since before Daytona. You and the EM made the trek down there, and there was weather in and around the speedway the whole time you guys were down there. And it ended under uh, under they called the called the race, and Justin Haley won it. There's been a lot of flack in the media. I actually spoke with Bob Pockers at Kentucky Speedway this past weekend about that. And some of the media don't think he deserved to actually get that win. And I don't understand that. I mean, he made the decision to stay to uh, to stay out when Kurt Busch pitted, which if Kurt Busch wouldn't have pitted, he would have won the race. And uh, the uh, the way NASCAR runs their weather deal, if there's a lightning strike within eight miles of their uh, of their facility, wherever they're racing at. They have to wait at least 30 minutes, 30 minutes before they go back to green, unless there is another lightning strike. But talk a little bit about that, Stephen, and what and what's your take on some of this? Some of these media guys not really taking to Justin Haley winning that race here at Daytona. 
Well, I kind of stuck up for him on Twitter after this whole thing went down. Um, I know that there was a lot of media out there that criticized um, both Justin Haley as a driver and the team. Uh, some of this comes back to the fact that people think that a marketing company shouldn't be allowed to field a team uh, because they feel that it's a conflict of interest when they're representing other sponsors and other marketing or, or other companies um, that are looking to market um, with those particular drivers. Um, you know, honestly, I, I don't think this is any different than, you know, we'll, we have to go back to the, to the very first season um, in, in, in NASCAR. And, um, you know, Red Blyron won the season, uh, the very first championship in 1949. Uh, his car owner um, was well known to have helped um, start the sport with Bill France Sr. and was also financially involved in the sport uh, with Bill France Sr. So, you know, this is something that a lot of media seem to have forgotten in the fact that, you know, the very first champion, the very first car owner in this sport um, not only helped build the sport, was also financially involved in the sport with the sports, um, uh, the France family um, that, that uh, started it and ran the series. So, um, you know, for Justin Haley, he's a driver. He has no control over what that team does. Um, he doesn't have um, he doesn't have the opportunity to go and say we're going to run the team this way versus that way. He is just the driver. He had a sponsor that has been with him for quite some time and that he was doing the best for what his sponsor uh, would have wanted anybody to do, uh, regardless of the team and that's to go out there and put on a performance and, and, and win races. And I think that was kind of a little bit lost in it too, that media was criticizing this team, but they seemed to also forget there's a driver behind the wheel and there's a sponsor on that hood. And it's just a bad look that if we as media are criticizing drivers that are bringing sponsors to the table, people that are paying to put their um, name on the hoods of these cars, but we're criticizing them because they win, because they, because they, the car is owned by a particular team that um, we may not like or we may have taken issue with. We should take issue with the team and the team owners. Don't take issue with the drivers and the sponsors that are on that car because they're, they're, they're not at fault. They don't have anything to do with these teams. They don't have anything to do with the way that they run. They pay their sponsorship money. Their names are put on the hood, and this guy gets behind the wheel and, and does his job and wins a race. So, you know, take issue with what you take issue with, but they're also, you know, there's also a driver and sponsor. And like I said, it goes back to 1949, too, when the first, um, the first, uh, both car owner and the first winner of the championship in NASCAR. And, and to second that, you know, I can see, you know, in, in the night, early 1970s when when Gene Johnson went to uh, uh, R.J. Reynolds and, to, and tried to get, you know, them to put their names on the car and sponsor his cars. Uh, and the, he found out that they wanted something different. They wanted something bigger. They wanted something better. So he turned them over to NASCAR, and he still gets, money by winning races and winning championships. 
even though that they didn't want to be on his car directly. So, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily a conflict of interest, but, you know, it's still, Junior Johnson still got his way by passing them on to NASCAR, and still he's still got the money either, either regardless. So I think there's, you know, we've got a history of things that have been done in this sport that we can probably, uh, um, you know, probably look back on and say, you know, and, and if we compare it to 2019 versus what happened in the early 70s or even 1949, we we may take issue at that we wouldn't do that today, but, you know, we would do that in 1949 or in the early 1970s. And um, I, I just think that we just have to look at this as, as the whole thing in totality of it all. And I think it was just really unfair to Justin Haley and his sponsor. Um, they did their job. They paid their money. Um, but take issue at what you would take issue with. And if that's the team owner or that's the team, uh, some team officials, then that's fine. But I think we, it's just kind of in bad taste. And if other sponsors are looking at coming into the sport and can't necessarily afford to put their name on a Hendrick Motorsports or a Joe Gibbs Racing or a Stuart Haas Racing, for example, and, and they're approached by one of these other teams, and they look back and say, well, the media criticized this other smaller team I don't know if I really want to put my brand out there, you know, front and center and make my my brand or my company uh, in the middle of the crosshairs or the crossfire, uh, either intentionally or unintentionally. So, you know, I think it makes people stop and think and give pause. And, you know, I, I just think that, you know, it was in bad form, to be honest with you. I would definitely agree, Stephen. I definitely agree with everything that you that you said. I mean, you know, we've had uh, Ron Devine has come through the sport. He's good friends of you and I, you know, and he had his differences there, and he's had all kind of drivers, and he tried his best, but that deal went down went down bad there with uh, Ron, and Ron keeps telling me that he's still got something coming. And also, you know, the Jeffrey Earnhardt, the – IK9 deal, that deal went down. I still hadn't heard nothing from Landon Ash. I've tried to contact him and see exactly what's going on. And I think Extreme Concept, if I'm not wrong, I think they're going to be on the Brandon Jones uh, car, Xfinity car this weekend at New Hampshire. Did I see that right, Steve? Um, it's going to be the first foundation, which is owned by uh, by Extreme Concepts. Uh, it's their foundation, which they give back uh, to um, military and first responders. So, um, But, they, yes, they will be on the car, the number 19 Xfinity Series car, this weekend at Long. And, Stephen, uh, we sort of talked a little bit on through here. We haven't got but probably five minutes. We're going to have Makina Haas come on. But, uh, just, I want to talk about a little bit this past weekend at Kentucky Speedway. It was my first trip there. Uh, Suzanne and I got up there. We had to fly around the world to get there. We went from the go, uh, Birmingham to uh, Orlando, from Orlando to Chicago, from Chicago to Cincinnati, but we actually made it. And where they have built this track, David, you, you guys need to come up and check it out. It's it's uh, south of Cincinnati. It's in Sparta, Kentucky, which is very far north in Kentucky there. And we uh, we stayed just right outside. I think I think it was Florence, Kentucky was where we stayed at a nice hotel. Everybody was really nice. And everybody told us to stay off I-71, you know, stay off the interstate because the interstate is crowded. 
and they said that there's a two-lane road, uh, Highway 42. They said take that down to the to the truck. You ride right down beside the Ohio River, and just riding through there, so even seeing some of them sites, some of them old farmhouses. We've seen tobacco fields and just a lot of stuff. And all of a sudden, you come out. Uh, it ain't. It, it wasn't like 32 32-minute th- drive from Florence. We popped out there and boom, there's this big Kentucky Speedway in the middle of nowhere, brother. But we we got. I want to give Tim Bray and everybody at Kentucky Speedway a big shout out. We got treated really, really well. We never got stopped with our media hard card. We had all we had to do was ask for a golf cart ride. Boom, there it is, Mr. Dispain, where you want to go? But I want to give a big shout out to Kentucky Speedway there, and also. The temperature up there was like in the 90s. It was right at 90s, even. But the humidity was like 65, 67% humidity with a breeze. It wasn't that bad. It ain't like the humidity you and I have. We have like a, a 97-degree weather here and where you're at also. And you got a 105 heat index. It's hot, brother. But up there, it was really, really nice. And I want to give a big shout-out to everybody up there at Kentucky Speedway. They treated us really, really well. Yeah, um, I've, excuse me, sir, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've never been there, but, yeah, from what I have, um, read from a lot of people is the fact of where this is actually located, and it's kind of located way out in the middle of, uh, well, um, nowhere, so... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to say something that I shouldn't have said, but, but anyway. See, well, I want to get your take before, before we wait on, here, wait on her to come on this. this house. Uh, Kentucky Speedway put that PJ1, that track bike, down in uh, turns one and two and three and four up high. And I had posed a question, which I got the, I got the audio that I downloaded when I talked to Ryan Neiman, but I hadn't got it uploaded to, to play. He was saying that uh, the the track bike during the daylight, once it heated up, it was pretty good. But then once it after after dark, the track bike sort of cooled off. There wasn't that much grip up there. But to contradict what Ryan even told me, there was a lot of cars that run that high groove up there in one and two and three and four. And I think Kentucky Speedway and NASCAR done a really great job putting that PJ one down up there at Kentucky Speedway. Um, I think it opened up the racing just a little bit out there. Um, they obviously worked a lot more with the track than they had in the past. The padding, the pad for that PJ1 was a lot wider and a lot longer. Um, it was obvious throughout the uh, turns that we would see. Uh, we could see that throughout the, the race. Um, so um, for them putting it down, it was, uh, it was definitely, I think it, I think it worked. And we're seeing some of the groups come in at some of these places um, that haven't in the past. Um, but as far as uh, Kentucky is concerned, um, I would honestly like to have seen them go back to that low, low downforce package there because I think that it produced um, some better racing that we've seen. And not that the racing that we didn't see on Saturday night wasn't good, but I, I think, you know, overall, if you look at a race as a whole, 
Um, that was that's what I always felt like was a really really good race from start to finish. Um, you know, we're using that low 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 downforce package. And David, that low low downforce package, can you can can you explain that to explain that to some of our listeners? Uh, they started running that. I think it's the low low downforce. It's called the called the five fifty, right? Um, n- n- no, I'm I'm talking about the low low downforce package that they used um, back in about 2000, and about 2014 or something like that, where they cut the spoiler blade down to about two and a half inches or something like that, and took about um, 600 pounds of downforce off the rear of the uh, rear of the car. Um, what they used this past weekend was uh, uh, the new package with. Um, 550 horsepower, um, and some other changes um, to the car, um, to two, two different packages. Uh, and I feel like I said, I think it was like 2014 or something like that. It's the year that Brad Keselowski won out there. Um, I just thought that that race, as a as a whole, from start to finish, um, was a really really good race. And um, I think that you know I I would have. You know, if I get to make decisions, I would, <clears throat> excuse me, I would look at, um, you know, the package in 2014, and maybe there's just some people that would disagree with me, and, you know, again, we can't make everybody happy, and maybe it's just, I'm being a little bit selfish, but, yeah, I, I, I would honestly have liked to, uh, I would like to see that used again, um, maybe with this current, in conjunction with this current uh, engine package, with a, with a lower, um, with with the lower horsepower in the engine, um, I think it could be interesting that we would see that. Um, and again, I think I'm maybe being a little bit selfish here, but you know, if somebody's listening and they're taking ideas, my idea is maybe let's slap that low low downforce package on one of these 550 horsepower packages at these mile and a half racetracks and see what happens. And Stephen, let me change gears a little bit. Uh, you know. You and I, we've been to a few tracks this year, and NASCAR has implemented these breakout sessions where they have some of the drivers for like 15 minutes. They'll bring three in, 15 minutes, three more in, which would be six, 15 minutes. And at Kentucky Speedway, the way their media center is set up, you've got the media center. It's like it's not uh, east and west. It's north and south on the uh, track there. When you go in the media center, it's it's small. There's not much room there. It's probably twice. It's really really small. But anyway, then you got the media center. Then you got the drivers meeting room that where they do these breakout sessions. And Suzanne and I had to go into the PR room to get our seat. The PR media. We was in there with uh, Drew Brown, Laura Finley, that whole bunch. The PR and everything. But they do these breakout sessions, and I think it's really neat that they do that. That way you can – I actually talked to Ryan Newman. I talked to Daniel Hamrick. I talked to David Reagan. There's a bunch of – and it gives you that one-on-one experience, you know, which is not really just one person there. There's four or five people, Dustin Long, uh, Bob Poxer's been thing. I want to get your take on exactly – that's a big deal there for us media people. It gives us that extra time to talk. 
get questions without going through a hand raising deal. And I'll, I, I think NASCAR really hit on something with that breakout session stuff, Stephen. I think I might have lost Steve. Nope, I'm here. Sorry, I hit the mute button on and I kept talking. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> no, that's uh, it, it, it's a good deal. And it's a good deal in the fact that we get to uh, go out there and uh, we'll get three or four drivers at one time, and we can ask questions to them, use the audio, or use what uh, some of their answers later on. Um, you know, this really was in, in, in um, you know, in response to trying to track these drivers down. And in this day, how it's just become harder and harder to track them down. Um, they come to the track, they got qualifying, they got um, sponsored deals, they got team meetings, they got this, they got that. And you know, media were running all over the garage and not necessarily getting the attention of of the drivers. And um, NASCAR stepped in and worked with the teams and said, "Well, let's change the way that we're doing it. It, it gives a more open, more open form to talk to the drivers." And I really like the fact that we get to talk to a variety of drivers, and they do have a variety of drivers that come in. And I really do think that, um, you know, it's it's working to start telling the stories of some of these drivers um, that we've not had a chance to talk about in the past. And just to let you know this, I normally let you know stuff on the side over on mute, but uh, Daniel Hemrick told me that any time we want him on, he told me to email his PR and tell his PR that uh, Daniel Hemrick said he wanted to come on the show. So we're going to get Daniel pretty quick. Daniel said just whenever we we we, we want him. But, Stephen, let's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, let's listen to a little bit about uh, Kentucky Speedway. Tyler Oker more in the uh, – the uh, truck series up there in Kentucky. Let's listen to a little bit about what he had to say to the media center at Kentucky Speedway. All right. We're going to roll into our post-race press conference here for the ninth annual Buckle Up In Your Truck 225 for the NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series. We've now been joined by our race-winning team, driver of the number 17, Tyler Ink, or I should say, driver of number 17, Academy Sports Toyota, Tyler Ingram. The race reading crew chief Kevin Bono Mannion and race winning team owner David Gillen. And um, congratulations, guys, um, on the win tonight. Um, we will go ahead and take questions for Tyler, David, or Bono. If you have one, please raise your hand, state your name and affiliation, and we'll get you a microphone. Who would like to kick us off? Come on, somebody wants to ask a question. All right, Jerry, thank you. Jerry Jordan kickingthetires.net. Jerry Jordan kickingthetires.net. Talk about some wins. You know, obviously, uh, you're I think maybe the only driver in the 2000s that's gotten a win, uh, or, you know, from from that era. So uh, it's got to be kind of a big deal for you. Is it on? Oh, oh yeah. There you go. I just I don't think I was holding close to my mouth. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, it's pretty awesome. That's uh. I mean, my vocabulary isn't on right now. I don't know what, honestly, I just don't know what to say. I'm just so thankful for, you know, the ride I'm in. And 
GGR Crosley, Toyota, uh, Railblazer Academy. You know, we've been working so hard lately. Well, the guys have been working hard so lately. And, um, you know, week in, week out, they, you know, just keep on build, giving me, you know, I shouldn't be giving me better cars, but we've together been getting better. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, <laughs> I honestly didn't think this was going to be possible. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think we could do it. But, you know, oops, whoops. But, you know, with the support I've had and kind of the pressure, too. Man, I was kind of the pressure to get a sponsor. But, uh, you know, I'm just so thankful for everyone around me and what they do. <laughs> I just took I, a smile cracked on my face. I uh, I was so worried. I, I I couldn't see the 24 out front. I knew the laps were winding down. I couldn't see them. Couldn't see them. And I saw them at the all the way at the opposite end of the straightaway. And I was and I was just I I honestly think I forgot the whole. I think I forgot to breathe the last 30 laps. And I just uh, <laughs> I just don't know what to say, man. I'm just so thankful for what we, what we've done here. And and uh, we're no, we've made the chase. Well, hopefully. Hopefully we'll we'll find sponsorship for the rest of the races for the season, and I am. Uh, hopefully, this is many more to come. All right, additional questions, Aaron. Dustin Albino, Dustin Albino, front stretch. Uh, David, what's this mean to get this win for your team? Uh, it's, it's super special, you know. Um, we couldn't couldn't do it without the help of uh, Bola Mastis and Toyota and and all our partners that uh, you know have supported us since day one, and um, you know we got guys like. Kevin, Kevin Mannion here that, that took a chance and came to, came to work for our team and uh, just a great group of people and um, you know we're, we're really working on trying to build this and build our team and uh, kind of create something different and um, like I said I'm really proud proud of Tyler he's done a great job I started my son Todd raced with him in quarter midgets I think when they were probably 11 or 12 years old and um, you know I, I saw Tyler had a, a ton of ability and um, he, he's done a great job he's uh, was a champion in the K&N series for us and um, that's really special too to have have that growth and these kids be able to come and move up through DGR Crosley and stay within our family um, you know under the Toyota umbrella and, and um, you know in our family and, and that's how we run our business is like a family and um, you know to come out here and, and produce these results is something we're really really proud of. All right. Additional questions? All right. We'll get one for Kelly. Kelly KellyKindOfRacer.com. David, so Tyler's mentioned a few times about a sponsor, and, and hopefully this win helps. Do you guys plan on running the rest of the season now that he's eligible for the playoffs? How is this going to work? Is it, is it kind of dependent on sponsorship at this point? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, at this, this day and time, you know, sponsorship is, is hard to come by and, and, you know, obviously we're going to work hard as hard as we can, you know, wins, wins help everything. So, um, you know, we'll dig our heels in and, and see what we can do to, to make that happen. But, um, you know, we, we've ran them till now and, and we're going to do everything we can to, to go out and try and win a championship. That's uh, been our ultimate goal. And, um, you know, we finished one, two in the K&N series last year and so we can win championships and uh, we're going to, you know, we're not going to stop in, until we go for it again. So let's see what we can do. Go ahead. One more, uh, Jerry Jordan kicking tires on that. Uh, Bono, talk about uh, your, being on the box up there tonight watching this race. What uh, was going through your head as he, he uh, was closing down the laps there and then 24 rounds of fuel? Um, you know, what was going through my head was um, a, a lot of things. <laughs> uh, 
you know, I, I felt Tyler from, from the minute I kind of met him a couple years ago when, when I came to work for uh, David and Bo at DGR Crosley. Um, I saw his name on the car in, in, in a K&N car, and I said, who's this kid? And, and he showed up, and, and I met him, and, and, and they went to New Smyrna, and I watched it on a computer and couldn't believe from the back to the front how, how aggressive and talented he, he seemed to be and then continued on to win the championship last year and spent a lot of time going to a lot of K&N races getting to know Tyler and that group of guys. But um, there's been a lot of, like Tyler mentioned, there's been a lot of pressure on him. Um, you know, he's, he's, he has a waiver. He turned 18 March something, and he missed the first couple races. And uh, he uh, has a waiver to, to run for the championship. Knowing that, um, he, he had to run a different truck a couple times a, a, a few weeks ago. Um, and, you know, and it, and it just really, uh, he really understood what that meant to, to go for it. So the pressure on him to win a champion, to win a race, to have an opportunity to win a truck championship was huge. So, um, you know, I think we finished uh, third at Texas um, and then, um, or Charlotte rather, and uh, Chicago, we would have had a good top five, and, he, and he, we made a mistake, and we sped on pit road. But that's, you know, you gotta you gotta make aggressive calls to win races, and you gotta be on the chip basically, and and on your red lights coming down, and we were uh, 0.3 over on speed, and so I mean, uh, even even the call we made tonight to stay out, we had a short pit, and we had to take more gas than the other guys, and that's how we lost the lead. With that, they they uh, they short filled. Um, and uh, thought it was their their call was aggressive too. So everyone's making aggressive calls, but going going through my mind, I knew the 24 was quick until until he pitted, and then they figured out they didn't get enough gas in it, so their lap times were slow, and we were catching them a second a lap. Um, and then when the 99 hit the wall, I said, okay, that's that's one down, and we we were close to him, but um, you know I, I I thought for sure um, the 24 was going to run out just just hoping and praying anyhow. And so w when I heard the spotter say that, I, I really got excited because I knew all we had to do was finish, uh, run a couple more laps. So uh, happy for, for Tyler, um, happy for David and Bo for getting a win. Um, just just happy, just happy. You've been around for a long time. Who would you compare Tyler to in the garage people you know over there? Ryan Newman. Look at his head. I hope I don't get that belly, though. No, no he, offense. He, no he, offense, He's Ryan. very, very aggressive. No um, I had an official tell me today, or, or somebody official, or a fan, or somebody said, "Man, we, we get to watch Tyler today. He's always, always very aggressive, and he and he, and he doesn't uh, take no, take no uh, BS from anyone out there, you know, and stands his ground um, and makes 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 things happen. So, really good, uh, really good night for us for sure." Bob, did you have a question? Yeah, um, Tyler, how will you, what will you be looking for in the next three races? And, you know, if there were three different winners, it could still actually come down to points. So, I mean, are you going to be running for, you have to, I guess, are you going to run for wins or do you have to run for points? I mean, we're here to win, right? But, I mean, you know, when you, when you ask me, you know, what I'm racing for, I'm, I'm racing to learn to learn to get better. Um, you know, there's no such thing as perfection in the sport. Perfection, well, you can chase perfection. You can be the closest to perfection, but it's kind of like chasing the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You'll never find it, but you can definitely be the closest to it. So, I mean, 
going forward, I'm really looking forward to consistency. I mean, I felt. Got oh, fine. Okay. I, I. Okay. That's. I figured it out. I figured it out. I'm sorry, but I feel like I need to run better in the stages. I think I need to get better at restarts. Definitely, most definitely, I need to get better at restarts. But you know, I'm just you know still over the moon about what these guys done and what these trucks bring in. I think the well, the preparation we'll have going forward, like we were so prepared for this race and all the races in the past, we brought it all together tonight. And you know, granted, we did get you know, in a way, we did get lucky with fuel. And, and Moffitt was a lap short, but in my mind, a win still a win. And we led laps, and we were able to hold off in the 99 there for uh, it, seemed, it seemed like forever. It seemed like we, I tried to I was fighting against the 99 behind me for the longest time. So, going forward, we're look, I'm going to be looking for consistency, and just performing better. That was Tyler Akram there at the Media Center at Kentucky Speedway after he won the uh, Buckle Up 125, whatever there at at uh, Kentucky. And uh, I just got a text from Stephen. Stephen said, uh, uh, "McKenna Haas is coming on at 7:40, which is going to be really, really close here." But Stephen, I want to get your take on. Uh, we actually had a little bit of uh, what can I say? A little bit of ruckus in the uh, garage area there at Kentucky Speedway after uh, Spencer Boyd and uh, uh, Nellie Decker. Nellie Decker actually reached up and they were having a conversation, Stephen, and our good friend Spencer Boyd, which does a uh, which does a show on our network every Monday night, the Eagle Death Spencer Boyd, she reached up and grabbed his hat and slammed it down on the asphalt, brother, and now Spencer has made a t-shirt and it's Selling like crazy, and he's make uh, everything that every, everybody that buys something is going to donations. Uh, but uh, that was something there in the garage area there in Kentucky. Whenever she reached up and snatched his hat off and slammed it down, bro. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. They were having to quite, from what I've seen, quite a spirited conversation on, uh, you know, uh, washing out and uh, collecting her in that in that incident, so, um, you know, a lot of these times, these are just racing incidents, and, you know, I'm glad that, you know, we are able to see the, the frustration and the emotions come out for some of these drivers now, because, um, you know, you know, we've seen, you know, I guess I'll go back to Jamie Johnson a lot, because, you know, he's so, you know, again, so vanilla, and he's so even keen most of the time that, you know, we don't, we don't think of somebody like you know, Jimmy Johnson going out there and really doing something like that. And, you know, for a longer stretch of time, I think we had a lot of drivers that kind of fit to that mold. And, um, you know, fans want the emotion. They want to see people having spirited conversations with one another. Um, we've had two incidents this year where somebody... Or one where somebody walked up and uh, started punching another driver through through the window, and then you know with Michael McDowell on, also uh, on pit road, an incident with him on pit road where somebody come up and got in Michael McDowell's face, and honestly I don't really suggest that with Michael McDowell because he's a big boy. He you know he may not look like it on TV, but it you know this dude he's he's tall. I mean he's I mean he's he's very towering over top of 
uh, a majority of these drivers out there, and it's just, you know, in my opinion, it's just not one of the smart things to do to walk up to somebody that big. And, and by no means am I saying he's overweight because he's not, but he's just very tall. And he's very just, you know, it's just that very large kind of persona that, you know, you project when you're that tall and looking down on somebody. And, um, you know, uh, you know he, he's probably one of the more gentle people in the garages, but, again, I think it just comes to the fact of, you know, I, we would like to see emotions out there, and we like to see these conversations go on. And, you know, it's really nice to, and really refreshing that we are able to see that. And, and NASCAR kind of steps to the side and says, you know, look, you know, if you're going to have these conversations, you know, we're, we're not going to get into the middle of it, but if you take it too far, then, you know, we're here, and we will react if you take this too far. Just like we saw with somebody using us, uh, a vehicle not too long ago with Johnny's Otter and uh, Austin Hill, and they stepped in and they said you took it too far by using a race vehicle as a weapon, and we're going to sit you down for a week. And you know, I think you know there's lines and boundaries out there, and you know NASCAR is adhering to those lines and boundaries. And when they need to, they step in and they say, okay, enough is enough, and we're going to take action. And they did. Exactly. And sort of touch on that you talked about. Michael Waddell, yeah, Michael Waddell is tall. And he's probably my height. He might be a little bit taller, Steve, but I actually spoke to him in the media center there at Kentucky Speedway this weekend. We talked a little bit. But, I mean, you know, Suzanne took that picture of me with my with my gut there when I was in the uh, in the media center there talking to uh, Daniel Hemrick and everyone. But, uh, Steve, I think we've got our guest. Let's bring on. McKenna Hot into the pit stop with Tim Despain and Stephen Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. McKenna, how are you doing this evening? Good, how are you? I'm doing good. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to call in tonight, and we really do appreciate it. And I'm going to hand you over to the expert, uh, Stephen Wilson, SpeedwayDigest.com, and let him ask all the questions. And, again, uh, I'm probably not going to ask nothing, but thanks again, McKenna. Thank yeah, you very no much problem. for calling in. Thanks. I appreciate you taking time to call in tonight. Um, your your career has spanned quite some time out there, but one of your most notable feats, um, and you just did this just in the last couple of years, is you're a two-time winner at Knoxville uh, Speedway. This track has over a 100-year history, and you're the first female uh, to win a feature event there. Talk just a little bit about um, what that means um, for you to win a feature event at a place like Knoxville that has such a storied and steep history? Yeah, I mean, it means a lot. I think last year was definitely a lot more solidifying, I guess, and, like, even a bigger honor for me um, in the 360 class. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just it's something that will never be taken away. You know, it's history, and, and I guess that's just an honor to be a part of. But... Also, um, you know, still chasing other dreams and goals, too, and, and don't want to stop there just yet, so. 
So, you know, not only do you do you drive cars, but you're in your own you're in your own team, development team. You're also a driver coach. We, I think, a lot of people have probably watched uh, the Fox speech feature on you just uh, that was done here recently within the last week or so. Kind of goes a little bit more in depth as to what my question may be. But um, what do you, why why do you feel that you want wanted to go out, reach out, and be uh, a development driver coach on your own team like that, and, and just what is your overarching goal as to that? Yeah, um, I mean, I've always been passionate about helping kids. I mean, ever since I started racing when I was 13, I was helping, like, the little kids at my track and then um, kind of moved up the ladder to where I wasn't at the track with kids as much. Um and really didn't return until I started my own team. Um, and that was just kind of a God thing, honestly. Like, it literally just popped into my mind one day, and the car just happened to, or the frame happened to be for sale, and I just built this car. And so um, I can't really say that that was planned out. It just kind of happened and ended up being a big success. And so uh, to where that program's grown, um, you know, we, we can only help so many kids, I guess, in that capacity. But in the local local areas, but my foundation intends to help kids all over the nation um, through your driving camps and safety gear. And so that's kind of the future of what we're looking at doing. What do you think the hardest thing is about not only being a driver yourself, but reaching out to other drivers out there uh, as a driver co- coach and development coach? Um, what, do you, what do you think is the hardest thing when you try and balance your time between the two? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it is hard. Like, I think looking back, um, it's kind of you have to decide whether you're looking at it as taking away from you or adding to you. And I think some people think that when you're helping kids or when you're giving back, you're simply giving. But I don't think people realize how much I'm receiving by doing that, too. I mean, the kids have taught me a lot, too. They've helped me a lot. Um, and so it's not just a one-way, one-way street. And I think that's something that keeps a lot of people from giving back and from not just focusing on their careers. They think that if they're not focused on themselves that they won't get to where they want to be when really it's like those types of opportunities help everybody. And I think the Vox film showed that too, that, you know, me, me giving back to Compass is simply a part of my career. Um, but there are days too where it's like, you do ask yourself, should I be giving quite so much time to this or how is it, you know, taking away from my stuff? And, um, you know, part of Compass when I started it was because I wasn't racing as much as I wanted to. And so rather than just, like, be jealous of kids that were racing more than me or that had the budgets to do that, um, rather than being frustrated about it, I did what I could do, um, and it was go help the kids. And so it wasn't really so much that I wasn't – I was choosing not to race and and to go racing with the kids. It was simply – what I was going to do in place of it. And, um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think the biggest challenge is just, it's simply a responsibility. And for me, it's like on a small scale, those kids are kind of like my own kids, you know, like I don't have kids, but they're still a responsibility to a small extent, you know, and that's always on my mind. And, you know, um, it does take, yeah, time and, changes the way I live my life too you know like I, they give me something worth fighting for and um yeah I mean my own money and time and everything it's just um it's just a capacity thing but I wouldn't trade it for the world 
female drivers have always been a part of motorsports in one capacity or another, and, you know, it hasn't really been really recently until the last maybe 10 or so years that there's been more of an outlet and more opportunities out there for, for female drivers in all respects and all in all forms of motorsports to go out there and, and have opportunities. Sometimes how do you break the mold out there to differentiate yourself, not only from your fem other female competitors, but also the, the male-dominated field of, of motorsports in general? Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, like my kids' track, they posted a picture from when I was racing there in 2010, um, and all the girls that raced there, and there was four of us, and then they posted one last week in 2019, and there was probably 20 girls racing there. And so it's amazing to see just how much growth there has been just in that time period. Um, and I think, you you know, I think having females racing at the higher levels shows it is inspiring to younger girls. And I think with me racing at Knoxville, I think that's helped grow girls in outlaw carts in our area. Um, I think where the problem lies is being able to, um, you know, get them into the higher levels just as much. Um, I think there is a challenge there because I think, there's not really you don't really notice the gender difference until you get and you know like for me it's it's a lot more drastic um, and and so it is a challenge but I think it's it really comes down to like staying true to yourself and trying to balance um, you know when you recognize the gender card and when you don't and I think um, for me I might recognize it in moments of disrespect like I want to be respected but beyond that like I think it just comes down to to being true to yourself no matter what. Uh, honestly, race car drivers are, are athletes, and you know we, we we've tried to break this we've tried to break that you know mentality for so many years of you know well race car drivers really aren't athletes and what do they do that competes up against the stick and ball sports? But in in actuality, there's a lot of athletics behind this, and I think you've shown this just in your appearance on American Ninja Warrior. It's a very tough competition. So what did you do particularly to get yourself ready that you wouldn't normally do getting ready to go and get into a sprint car and race at Knoxville? And, and what do you think, what do you think the impact is now that, you know, people see drivers, most first drivers now going on to these competitions like in their American Ninja Warrior like you did? Yeah, I mean, American Ninja Warrior was pretty much just a result of me not being as um, in shape as my competitors in Knoxville. And so um, really I just started like busting my butt and training really hard to, to even keep up on the track physically. Um, and that kind of led to the show, which just goes to show how, you know, fit you have to be to drive a sprint car. Um, and now it's crazy because I don't really think about it as much. But when I first got started racing sprint cars, I mean, man, like, there were races where I thought I wasn't even going to make it through the race. Um, and now it's not something that crosses my mind as much, um, which is big for me. You know, I think like that's a big challenge and hurdle to overcome, especially at a place like Knoxville. Um, that's pretty physical. And, you know, I, I think it's a little bit different maybe if you're a grown man and you kind of have that natural muscle, but for me, my strongest is some of their weakest, you know? And so I feel like I just have to, train extra hard to keep up but once you kind of reach that point where you're kind of getting in shape you know um it, yeah you it, it becomes a lot more easy to maintain it as far as your dreams goals and aspirations are uh, we've seen a lot of 
Dirt and Sprint drivers, Keith King, Tony Stewart, probably predominantly Kyle Larson and others that have gone um, from from racing sprint cars in, into stock car racing and into the highest forms of motorsports and winning championships and winning races. Um, do you follow a line of the dreams, hopes, and aspirations that, that they do? Are you looking to set your own path? And if so, what is the path you would like to set? Yeah, I mean, I've always, I always wanted to be an outlaw driver at first, and then, um, then I drove a stock car, and I really liked that. And so, I, I mean, I would love to race NASCAR, but obviously, it's like really hard to get there um, and a really hard path. And so, I think at the end of the day, I'd like to race anything professionally. But I think the stock car route would be something that, um, if you get the opportunity, like I know it's not dirt track racers' favorite thing or most respected form of motorsport, but for me, if I could ever get the opportunity, um, I mean, yeah, I'd absolutely love to take it just because, um, I don't know. I mean, I would just like to see as far as I can take it, I guess. Maketa, I appreciate you taking the time to come on here tonight and talk to us a little bit about what you have going on. Um, for everybody that um, doesn't know about you and like to learn a little bit more about you, let them know how they can, how they can uh, follow you on social media. Um, things that you have going on your upcoming races and what's going on with your own teams, your own development drivers. I appreciate you taking the time to come on here tonight and talk to us a little bit about what you about you and your um, your career in racing. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Sure. Thank you. Steve, that was Makina Haas there, driving the, in the uh, Sprint Car Series, uh, the open, them open wing deals. I still can't get all that right. But uh, she talked a little bit about how she might want to make a trek to NASCAR, Stephen. Do you think she has what it takes to get there? I think anybody really with a passion to do what they want. I mean, there's some luck involved into it, and obviously there's a, there's, financial aspects to it also um you know you can't just be talented but you also have to uh, have somebody you know wanting to fund you or fund your career at the same time and um i think that she's shown that in the fact of doing something that nobody else did it makes her a, a marketable commodity uh, to some of these companies out there that are you know looking to to sponsor somebody um, outside of the norm, which is, you know, kind of why I asked the question of the male-dominated sport, and, you know, we're seeing more outlets these days for female drivers having opportunities to come out and uh, race in the highest forms of motorsports, and, you know, we've, we've like I said, you know, we've, we've seen this for, you know, last 10, 12, 15 years, something like that, you know, can't really pinpoint it down to a particular moment, but, um, you know, for, for her, I, I think she she I think she could do it if she wants to. It, it's just the stroke of luck and sometimes the financial backing that you also have to have to go along with it. Exactly, Stephen. Catching that break at the exact time to catch that break, if I can do that. Uh, let a listener know the number call is two one five three three thirty six. How you want to get? I'm Tim in Spain here in Talladega. Hey, Stephen Wilson in Richmond Raceway, right outside of Richmond there. 
Stephen, let's take a little quick break because I know you're short-winded because uh, you had that big, long interview. We will be right back after this song. Let's play some uh, Benny and the Jets here in the pit stop for Tim Spain and Stephen Wilson. summer 
There's the beach, the forest, and if you listen just right... The Foxwoods Resort Casino, 301 at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, July 20th through 21st. There's fun for all ages, friendly fans, and your only chance to see NASCAR racing in New England. So catch the real sounds of summer. The Foxwoods Resort Casino, 301, July 20th through 21st. Get your tickets today at NHMS.com. David Coaster punched his fifth win in the 2019 season in the National Race Series. Let's see what he had to say to ladies down there at Kentucky Speedway after he won the Xfinity Series race there. Man, that gentleman is kicking. All right. We've now been joined by our race winning team for tonight's ALSO 300 here at Kentucky Speedway. We're joined by Cole Custer, driver of the number 00 Haas Automated Automation Ford, and his race winning crew chief, Mike Shiplett. And Cole and Mike, we meet again here in the media center after a race, which is always a good place to start. So we will take questions for Mike or Cole. If you have one, please raise your hand, state your name and affiliation, and we'll get started. Okay? Microphone in the back, please. <coughs> Peter Strada, TSJ Sport. Question for both of you. The ultimate goal is to put on a performance like tonight at Homestead. Does anything from Kentucky Speedway translate to Homestead Miami Speedway? Uh, I mean, yes, it's a mile and a half, and Arrow comes into play, and, uh, you know, stuff like that. But it's obviously a lot different because it's a, paved, a repaved racetrack, and that's a really wore out racetrack. So you're going to be fighting different things, but there are things that we can take to uh, Homestead from here. Same thing. Said it perfectly. <laughs> All right, go ahead. There is a crew chief. Crew chief hello, crew chief, man of few words. Uh, Mark Garrow, PRN. Cole, you know, you've won five times this year. Uh, are you getting more comfortable as being like, hey, I'm one of the guys to beat, and you get out front, and it's like, go ahead, come and get me. I, I got what it takes. Are you, is your confidence growing? Uh, yeah, I think so for sure. It's just, it just comes with experience doing it more and more. And you, do, you build that experience, obviously, and that confidence. So, you know, it's just something that comes with time, I guess. And, uh, you know, obviously you got to have the cars to do it. So we had a great car tonight. So uh, I just can't thank all my guys enough. I think every time he gets in the race car, he just gets a little bit better. Still there? Oh. He gets a little bit better um, just in the way he communicates with us, the way he keeps focusing forward and driving. You know, he's just doing a great job. I'm very proud of him. All right, Dustin. Dustin Long, NBC Sports to your right. Um, Cole, you've talked about this in the past, and Mike, if also you can address this. It's Cole, you've talked about um, getting better as the race progresses. And, 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 and I think just like what Mike was saying, looking forward, how has that kind of evolved into what you were able to do tonight? And, and Mike, maybe kind of how you – in this short time you've been with him, how you've kind of helped uh, channel that and, and helped him be stronger latter part of a race like tonight? Um, I think tonight was kind of the extreme of that because I think the track was a lot different this year. So I kind of almost had to relearn it a little bit. So I think I got better and better as the race went on and got more uncomfortable with it. And then I think, uh, I think the track changed a lot also. And I think Mike did a good job just keeping up with that and knowing what was going to happen. You know, the biggest thing was starting, we practice all during the day, and then we start a race, 
an hour after we practice, and we know at a certain point throughout the race, the sun's going to go down, the track's going to get shade, and lights are going to come on. So when that happens, it really changes the racetrack. But here at Kentucky Speedway, with putting down the PJ1 this time, it really changed it. But some of the characteristics that have been there in the past showed back up again, and we just kept building on that to give Cole what he needed at the end of the race. So the biggest thing we talked about, you know, we talk about a lot of stuff before the race and explain to him the car is going to do something different that it did, that it hadn't done in practice for the first 45 laps. Then the next 40 laps is going to do something totally different besides that. And then the last 110 laps, the car is going to be where we need it. And, and that's just getting through the first part of the race is the key. And that's where Cole is really accelerating, understanding what he needs to do to get to the end of the race. You know, you it's really nice to win every stage and win the race, but the ultimate goal is to win the race at the end of the night. We work with them through the whole race. You know, it, it's not just one thing. You know, everything ramps up. You know, if you can start at 80% and build a 90% and be 100% on the last stage of the race, that's when you're going to excel. You know, if you're given 110% at the beginning of the race, you're going to be worn out at the end of the race. So it's just building up through the race. All right, additional questions, Chris? At ChrisPankCatchments.com, congratulations, you guys. Um, you know, there was a learning curve for you guys at the beginning of the year trying to get accustomed to working each other, but now that you guys are setting the world on fire, what can we expect for you guys, not only in the rest of the regular season, but in the playoffs, too? What is the double zero team really capable of? Uh, I mean, I think, honestly, this weekend – you know, show what we can do. I think even in practice, we felt like we were just a tick off the 20, but we made the adjustments to make our car better in the race and had smart adjustments throughout the race. So it's just a matter of, uh, I think we're going to get better and better throughout the year. And obviously, when we're a little bit off, I feel like we can make our car to where it's capable of winning. So uh, I think we're going to be competing for wins almost everywhere we go, I think. So uh, we just got to stay consistent and do our homework every week. All right. Additional questions? Chris has another one. I don't think anyone's a favorite at this point. I mean, we still have a handful of races before the regular season ends, and then you got seven races at the end of the year. You know, you got to look at each the next race as an opportunity to gain points, and that's the way we look at it. We don't look at Homestead. Homestead will be after the last race of the year. We still have uh, 12, 15 more races to go before then. All right. Go ahead. Steve Switzer with Alaska Press. Cole, how big a factor was clean air tonight? If uh, Christopher had been able to get past you on that last pit stop, would it have been a problem getting back around him? It's hard to say. I mean, at that point, I thought it would. I mean, he was close enough to us where in lap time that I thought if he got the lead at that point, it would have been really hard to get back by him. So, I mean, dirty hair is always a little bit of a factor here. Well, it's definitely a factor here. Uh, I don't know if the PJ1 really made it better or worse tonight. I think it maybe made it a little bit better. Um, but it's the uh, clean air is definitely always king. All right. Any additional questions? Okay. One in the back. Steve Connolly, the podium finish. Cole, um, you, you mentioned happened uh, the clean air. How much did you have to move around? We heard you mention that the uh, the car was really you were struggling with really loose earlier in the race, uh, problems with those bumps in turn one. 
uh, but at the end, there's a lot of uh, up the track, uh, middle to the high groove. How was that working for you? Yeah, I mean, it seemed like, uh, you know, we were really loose to start the race, and I think it, it kind of just came to us at the at, as the race went tonight. And then, you know, I mean, we were, we were able to move around a decent amount, especially in three and four. One and two, you can move around a little bit also. So I thought it was honestly going to be a really top-dominant race, but it actually worked out pretty good. So uh, I think that lends well for the cup race. I guess tomorrow they'll be able to move around a little bit. I don't know what they're going to do reapplying the, the PJ1, but it seems like they did do a pretty good job with it, I feel like, this weekend. And Steven, that was Cole Custard there in the Mini Center of T1 race that won the race there at Kentucky. Let's talk a little bit about uh, I, I I'm not going to play the Mini Center audio there, Kurt Bush, but uh, Kurt Bush got redemption. You know, like we talked earlier, uh, with Justin Haley winning the race there at Daytona and Kurt pitting, but Kurt Bush won the race that locks him into the chase. There's a lot of people that's on the bubble. You got Clint Boyer and some of that bunch there. Is it getting about go time, brother? Um, yeah, I think it's already past that point. I think that they, um, I think they have to. Uh, at this point, <clears throat> some of those that are way down there towards the Brian Newmans and uh, whatnot. They they need to. Uh, Ryan Newman has been having a lot of top five finish, uh, top ten finishes here in the last couple of weeks. So um, he's been able to maintain his odd of that. Um, but some of these other drivers that you know we we they, Jimmy Johnson for example hasn't had the best runs week in and week out, and he hasn't had a whole lot of consistency. And um, I I do think that some of these drivers really are at this point that you know it may be too late for them. If they don't pull off something spectacular in the next five five weeks or whatever it is, five six weeks, um, yeah, I know. I think they're pretty much in danger, or pretty much a given that they're not gonna they're not gonna be in the in the playoffs later on this season. That's right. And Stephen, before we jump out of here, I want to thank Regina uh, Haas for coming on and taking the time to talk to you and I. And, Stephen, if you can, uh, let, let everybody know the weekend schedule this weekend at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, uh, radio times and TV times, if you can, brother. Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, this weekend at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, uh, Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series qualifying 435 on Friday afternoon um, with uh, NASCAR K&M Pro Series qualifying Follow that. Then on Saturday, uh, Xfinity Series qualifying at 11:05 a.m. Xfinity Series racing at uh, four o'clock. Uh, 200 laps, 211.4, uh, 211.6 miles from that one. Uh, came in uh, race to follow uh, immediately. Followed at 6:45, and then on Sunday the Foxwoods Casino 301. Um, Three o'clock, Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series racing uh, from New Hampshire. Uh, PLM has a Series XM on the radio. NBCSN has your television coverage throughout the weekend. And PRN also has your XNA as well as well as uh, Series XM radio. And Stephen, let everyone know if I can follow it on social media and your website, brother. We'll jump out of here. 
you can follow us at Speedway Digest uh, at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com forward slash Speedway Digest and SpeedwayDigest.com. And again, uh, Tim Despain, Stephen Woodson there. We want to thank uh, McKenna Hodge for coming on. And we want to thank everybody at Kentucky Speedway that has helped us out. We want to thank everybody there for Stephen Wilson that has helped him out at Daytona. And I'm glad he's feeling better. And we will talk to you next Tuesday live from Dega Nation. We have uh, Stephen who, who we got. Oh, we got Jake Griffin. Jake Griffin is going to make his start at uh, in Eldor for, for Aferano Motorsports. And until next Tuesday evening, we'll talk to you later. Good night from Talladega, Alabama.
I'm Matt DiBenedetto, driver of the number 95 Procore Toyota Camry, and you're listening to the Pit Stop with Tim DeSpain.